0: In scripture, and you guys can go ahead and head downstairs for e kids. Kids can be dismissed downstairs to what we call e kids, service and lesson just for them. And so, and then I want to invite the rest of us to go in your copy of God's Word to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew's Gospel, we're back in the Lord's Prayer. I think it's so fitting how the Lord works things together, and uh, even so two weeks ago on Palm Sunday, we considered the phrase, your kingdom come, uh, and the, the kingness and the, the how we, just like those on that first Palm Sunday, get um, confused about what type of kingdom God has and what Christ, what type of king Christ will be, and then... Today, we will consider your will be done, and then next week, as we observe the Lord's table, we'll look at Him giving us our daily bread. And it'll be fitting how the Lord works those things together. And so, when we consider the phrase, um, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it is very similar to the previous phrase. Your kingdom come. In fact, you can't really take the Lord's Prayer and separate them. They kind of flow together. It's all part of that prayer. And so we're really praying, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this phrase, your will be done, may your will be done on earth, that brings up two thoughts that are going to outline our our, uh, message this morning. And that is the first one, what is God's will? And how does it relate to our individual prayer lives? And so let's read the text. I want to begin reading in verse 5 of chapter 6, and I'll read through uh, to bring us back to that. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they, they may be seen by others. And truly I say that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask them. Pray then like this. And let's look on the screen and, or from memory. And let's, let's, let's just recite together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us now as we consider this phrase, your will be done. Open our eyes to it. Help us to learn from it. And we pray that you would receive the glory for how we respond to it. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is God's will and how does God's will, and praying that way, how should it affect our prayer lives? So just since we've been a week away from the Lord's Prayer, just to remind us real quick that prayer is this conversing of our soul and sharing our desires to God. And the Lord's Prayer teaches us how to pray, it teaches us what to pray, it teaches us what prayer is, It's not. it teaches us what prayer is not, and it is the rule or standard as the uh, old catechisms and lessons would teach us of how God would want us to pray, even though the rest of Scripture also gives us uh, examples and instruction on how to pray. But we're to the really the big lesson that that we introduce there is that we are to be praying. We're to be praying when you pray. It's assumed. It's an obedience. It's a, it's highlighted that the church is to be doing this. Christ models it for us. And then we're to be guard against temptation when we pray. We're not to be like the hypocrites and the Pharisees. We're not to be mechanical in our prayers or manipulative in our prayers. We're not to try to manipulate ourselves or others or God. We're not try to um, try to impress God or others. Um, and we're to, prayer isn't therapy. It's not self-expression. It's not some way we persuade God. Prayer is this conversing of our soul with God. And so so because we get so confused, we need to be taught how to pray, and this is where the Lord's Prayer comes in, because it shows how we pray, really shows what we really believe. Um, it shows where our heart is, or as J.C. Ryle said plainly, tell me what a man's prayers are, and I will soon tell you the state of his soul. And so we need to be taught how to pray, because prayer discloses our worldview. It shows what our theology is, where our kingdom loyalties are, and how we pray. So it really shows how, what our worldview is. You can listen to someone pray, and you can tell what their worldview is. Um, and we, we we talked about this uh, when we look at some of the um, popular prayers, whether that be Jabez or the Serenity Prayer or whatnot. Often they can become very self-focused, and uh, as James Boyce put it, Unfortunately, we often pray first for things that we might, that might take us from God, for friends that might compete for his friendship, and for an ordering of events that might accomplish our plans, not his. Instead, we learn to begin our prayers with thoughts of God, honor, and the advancement of his purposes in history. And so, as we say, his kingdom come. And when we considered that two weeks ago, we saw four lessons from this, that there is a kingdom, a dominion, uh, that we, and we uh, it means there's a rule. Uh, secondly, that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom, but it's not yet been consummated. Thirdly, that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world; that there so we live in the already, not yet. The kind of as uh, the city of God, the city of man. That we are dual citizens. That there is this two two cities that we uh, live in. And then finally, that the church is the present aspect of the kingdom. And so really that praying that thy kingdom come is a revolutionary type thing. I mean, when we pray that type of thing, uh, thy kingdom come, we are praying a prayer that many earthly rulers fear that we are doing. I mean, this was one of the biggest problems for, for persecution of Christians in the Roman Empire, that these followers of Jesus are loyal to a different supreme ruler than Caesar and that they are praying for his kingdom to come, and his will to be done, as opposed to Caesar's. And so this is a really kind of a revolutionary type prayer. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we truly servants of this king? Are we submitted to his kingdom? Uh, Do we have confidence that he controls everything? But if we desire a kingdom, that naturally is going to obligate us to submit to the rule of the king. We we really like the idea of royalty and kings and things like this. And um and and we're um you know pretty fair bet everybody in here is a, a legal american. Um and um but and so we're very much you know not a king, you know, no t- dictator, totalitarian representative republic uh, democracy that type of thing but Americans are very very interested and curious about royal things Uh, just look at our movies Um, uh, Disney movies princesses and kings and things like this and in fact I'm told or I've heard that when events with the royal family in 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 England happen, there are more Americans that watch it on TV than there are those subjects of the crown. And so Americans are really into that kind of stuff. But one of the things we miss out on and we think, oh that's so cool and I and I'm I'm right there with you. I think the majesty and the pomp and the circumstance is really cool. And I think oh it's so neat to have those really old things and to have all that pageantry going on. But the thing we forget about a kingdom is that it comes with a king or a queen whose will needs to be submitted to. And that's where we're like, "Oh, I'll just watch it on TV from across the pond, right? And you guys can keep that even though it's more of a, a constitutional monarchy and more of a figurehead than anything." Um so when we so your will be done on earth as in heaven, uh it flows naturally from your kingdom come. Uh, th- there's a king that we want his kingdom to come. So his, the king would come. So we would submit to his will. So your will be done on earth as is in heaven. And there's two thoughts there that will, will outline us today. What is God's will? How does it rate, relate to our individual prayer lives? So first question there. And if you're wanting to take notes, there's blanks there on the screen. What is God's will? Now, the first thing when someone says that to to us as modern evangelical Christians, we often think of God's um, will, and there's almost this mysterious type thing going on here, Um, and that that we think of God's will as something we need to find, right? I want to find God's will for my life. I want to find what it is. So God's will... And, and, and you know what's funny is previous generations of Christians wouldn't even recognize that idea. They, they would, um, like when you read, uh, it, like you're not going to find books and writings about someone searching for God's will for their life until the 20th century. Uh, and and you go, how can I find out what god 's will is? Was it was it god 's will for me to wear a blue shirt today or what should, would it have been for a white shirt? Was it god 's will for me to buy this car or that car or marry this person or that person, take this job or that job, move here or move there, go to this school or go to that school? what is god 's will for my life? And, and we think of god 's will in those terms. And, and, and so there 's a lot of like confusing things about god 's will then we think it 's like some like code that we have to crack Then we have to get some like You know, it's like an Indiana Jones thing or there's kind of like a a national treasure that we have to like find out if there's a hidden map on the back of something to find God's will, right? And then, so that's one wrong way to think about God's will. I hope we can change a little bit of that this morning. But the other wrong way that we think about God's will is that we'll say you need to surrender to God's will almost as if it's something we wouldn't like, right? Like, I know if I surrender to God's will, he is going to make me go live in Africa in a grass hut with a bucket for a restroom in the corner, and my kids are going to be playing with cobras and uh, alligators. That's, that's just what's going to happen, right? Um and I don't want that, and so I better not surrender to God's will. Or a great example, the common example is when someone surrenders to the call to ministry, right? You know, I had this great job, and I was going to be a professional athlete, or I was going to make six figures, and then I had to surrender to the call to preach. And we act like it's a bad thing, like, like, like God held a gun to your head and said, give up, surrender, be a preacher, you know or something like that, like we have surrender to god's will and and either of those that it's some mystery we got to find or some scary thing that uh, that oh it's I'm not going to like it if I get, get god's will um, n- neither of those are really what god is God has had in fact, um, the Puritans talked about vocation that there is a calling on everyone every single one of you no matter what your job is you have a vocation you have a calling it's something that God has um, ordained that you have and what he's made you to be and so teaching at God's will the word for will the will of God is his strong desire and scripture speaks of the will of God as one thing God's will can't be thwarted but there are different ways that we can um that the scriptures speak of God's will. Not that he has different wills, but that the scriptures speak of his will in three different ways. And so I want to share those three ways with you. And I'm excited because I was even able to alliterate them this time. And so uh, you have three Ds of God's will. Uh, So God's will in 3D, if you will. Um, And I hear rim shots in the background the first one is God's will of decree and this maybe you might have heard of God's sovereign will God's sovereign will this is the will that God has ordained and predetermined what he has said will be and this is what it means to be God to be the king is that his will is supreme and what he wills happens and our responsibility to God's sovereign will is simply to submit to it um, we can't know it ahead of time anyway. So if you're someone, I've got to find God's will. Well, God usually doesn't tell us ahead of time anyway. In fact, there's a great example in, in James when it says, Go to now you that say today or tomorrow will go into such a city continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For that you ought to say, For what is your life It's even a vapor? For that you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. And that's why you hear people often say, well, Lord willing, uh, if the Lord wills, I plan to be there, because we don't know what will be on the morrow. God has not revealed his sovereign will to us often ahead of time. There is one category that is the glaring exception, and that is the scriptures that are prophetic, where God tells us what his will will be in the future um, and what will happen in the future. But there's a lot of areas that he has not given us prophecy in. And so if someone comes to you and says, let's say you're a single young lady and, um, and, a, and a young man comes up and says, God's told me it's his will that we date and get married one day. well, you can just look at him in the eye and say, he didn't tell me that, and it's not in my Bible. Because God doesn't show us and tell us those things ahead of time. Or when someone says, I know it's God's will for me to go here, go there, be this, be that. You don't know that. You could say, it seems like God's leading that way, if that's where my desires are. But God doesn't reveal that to us ahead of time. God doesn't usually reveal his sovereign will ahead of time. Uh, when he does, it's called prophecy. So we know God's sovereign will when it happens. It's, it includes things he's done in the past and what he's told us he will do. And you know what? We, why we just need to submit to God's sovereign will is because we can't change it anyway. Daniel told us this. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of earth, and there no one can stay his hand and say unto him, What doest thou? No one can change God's sovereign will. No one can alter it. Acts 4. For of a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate and with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. God's counsel determined before so no one can thwart God's will. And so God's will is seen and pictured for us in this first aspect of his will of um, decree, his sovereign will. What he decrees, what God ordains is always right. And the second D of this is God's will of disposition. That God has a disposition. And the, the, the example that I want to pull out here is in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. And uh, it's always wonderful when you bring this passage up because it gets everybody mad on every side. This is the passage where it says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so the Calvinists and Arminians both have their different ways of looking at this, this passage and both get mad at the others on the other side of it. But God says... God is not willing that any would perish. Now, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. This is not a proof text for universalism, which is kind of where an open theist or someone would eventually go, is that God just wants everybody to be saved. Is everyone going to be saved? Why is there even hell? Why is there even? No, no, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that God's part of God's will, one way that the scriptures represent for us God's will is that God has a will of disposition that he has a um, a, a, he is inwardly disposed that he is not delighted by any perishing that God's disposition is towards this and so there's there's some people that have um, uh, this is the idea of like a judge a judge sits on the bo- in, at the box and he comes in and there's someone who's committed a crime and you really feel for the person that's committed this crime. And so you, you kind of wish they didn't have to have this sentence. But your will is also against that crime that needs to be punished. And so God is not willing that any would perish but that all would come to repentance. His disposition towards it is that. And so sometimes... Uh, when we see things like you know, the, the horrors of the Holocaust or murder or injustices, um, and there are people that would do one of two extremes. There are people that would blame God, that God you know, God willed this to happen. Well, did God will it to happen? Yes. So they, what do they do? So they've made up an idea of God's permissive will, like, you know, oh, he kind of took a break. You know, it's kind of like he, he, he didn't have any control over it in order for people to be free. And sometimes we even do this with the gospel, right? We'll say, you know, like God kind of had this plan for this perfect earth. And then, man, Adam and Eve messed that up. So then God came up with another plan to redeem everybody, right? And to bring bring Jesus. But but here's the thing. The Bible tells us explicitly in the New Testament that Jesus on the cross was not planned be because God permitted something and it happened and then he turned. He says, no, before the foundation of the earth, Christ was crucified. That God had this plan and his eternal purposes. And so permission, permissive, I like the idea of that like God, God ordained certain things to happen. He permitted them to happen. Not that he's the author of it, but that he knew what was going to happen. And how like Joseph would be a great example of this when he would say, you know to his brothers you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good, um, and, and and there are certain things about uh, God's will that that will always be a mystery to us of why were certain things permitted or why were they uh, ordained to be that way, um, and but but this is part of God, but we know that God has a disposition of will, and then the third D of God's will to kind of give us a biblical kind of overview of what the will of God is, is his will of directive, his directive will. And this is kind of what we call his prescriptive will or his revealed will or his, uh, other times people use the word his moral will. Um, This would be what God has directed or prescribed and told us his will was in the scripture. So I want to give you a hot tip about how you can know God's will. I mean, this is like, I'm going to give you like 90% of, you know, this is the life hack of the Christian life to find God's will for your life. You ready for it? He already told you. In fact, he knew you'd probably forget, so he wrote it down for you so you could reference it often. It's called... The Bible. And so God has directed, he's prescribed, he's revealed his moral will for us. And so here's the tip of how to know God's will. You already know most of it. Most of it is known and told to you already. He wrote it for you. I mean, and there are certain things, even outside of the Bible, that we know God's will. How do you know it was... How do I know it was God's will for me to be born in 1980 and not 1950? My wife thinks I should have been born in the 50s. Um, How do I know it was God's will for me to be born in the 80s and not the 50s? Because I was born in the 80s. Had no control over it. Um, How, you know, there are so many things about God's will that you just know. When, what time space you were determined by God, what was God's will for when you would be born and where you would be born. that it was in, you know, Harrison County or Hampshire County or whatever other county or township or, you know, prison yard or wherever you were born or however that was, wagon. Um, No, no one here was born in the back of a wagon. I don't know if anyone was. But you don't know. And then here, this is kind of funny because we all pretty much are okay with accepting where we were born and when we were born. Here's the one that comes in our modern society of what gender you were born. That you kind of know that from the gate, you know, Um, that you already know God's will. So, if you were born a man, it is God's will for you to act like a man. And if you were born a woman, it is God's will for you to act like a woman. And um, you already know it. Uh, apply this a little bit farther. Um, How do you know if you're married? What if it, do you ever thought, "Well, what if it was God's will for you to, how do you know whose God's will is it for you to be married to? Uh, I saw this quote a long time ago. Um, Look at whose name is on the license and you know whose God's will is for you to be married to. Now there are some Glaring exceptions that the Bible gives permission for, but other than that, we know God's will. You look at the marriage license. Um, in the context here, Jesus is in the, the the Sermon on the Mount, and going back to chapter five through where we are in chapter six, <clears throat> he gives several things that we know are God's will. He says, you know, don't be angry. Uh, you've heard to not kill. I say, don't. Whoever hates his brother, don't hate your brother. Um, he says to. To, if you remember, your brother has aught against you, to leave your gift at the altar and be reconciled. So we know it's God's will for us to pursue reconciliation. He says there in the Sermon on the Mount to pay your debts and pay those that you owe. We know it's God's will for Christians to pay their debts. He says, um, to be with your spouse and not to be involved. We know that adultery. He says that you've heard of old time. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I say to you, whoever looks on a woman to lust after, has committed adultery. We we know it's God's will to be pure. To put, if your right eye offend you, pluck it out. If your arm right, arm offend you, cut it off. We know it's God's will for us to have safeguards against sin in our lives. Um, we we know he says, don't swear falsely or take an oath. We know it's not God's will for us to to go back on our word, to be honest in speech. He says to give to those that ask and to return to those that you've borrowed. We know it's God's will for that. And he says there at the end of chapter 5, to love your enemies, to do good to those that are cruel to you. We know it's God's will. You know, sometimes I don't always know, and I fail at this. Like, uh, it, like we don't know what God's will might be for us in a certain meeting or situation, but you know, it's Like, I always know it's God's will to be kind uh, in it. And sometimes kindness can look stern, but like, um, but we know it's God's will for us to, to show love and kindness. So, all this to say that a Christian really should not really need to ask what God's will is about anything that God's word has already spoken about. So if there's anything that the Bible's already spoken to, a Christian doesn't need to ask what God's will is in that, in that regard. You already know. So the tip on finding God's will is you already know most of it. So, God's never going to lead us or direct us or affirm us to do something or make a decision outside of what His Word has already told us His will is. And that's key, and that sounds, well, that sounds basic, but do you know how many Christians that you will hear and I have heard? will say, well, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to separate. We're going to not pay this back. We're going to do this or go here or not reconcile this relationship or whatever. And, or, 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 or we're going to, you know, whatever it might be, I'm going to cheat on this and not do this or take this job that is ethically wrong or do something that was wrong this way. And they'll say something like, well, you see, I prayed about it and I have peace. And you know, it doesn't matter how you feel or what you prayed, God doesn't change His mind. And for the Christian, anything that God's already spoken to you in the Word, you know is God's will. So, you want to find God's will? The good news is, you already know most of it. The bad news is, you need to read it and obey it. And um, it's not bad news, it's just... The responsibility on you all right so we need to we need to submit to God's sovereign will and then obey God's moral will so he's a will of decree his sovereignty a will of disposition of his, his 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 disposition towards that and then what he's directed or prescribed or told us in his will and we can know it through his word. Um, a couple texts that remind us of this in Romans 2. He says, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resist the law, and make us thy boast, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent. So his will is re- revealed in his law. Colossians chapter 1. For this cause also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. And we do this by obeying God's word. First Thessalonians 4. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. This is God's will. Black and white. Matthew 12. He stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. And so this is what is God's will is those three Ds of God's will. Second application of what we're talking about, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven How does God's will relate to my prayer life and your prayer life? God uses means to accomplish his will. So he wants to water the earth. He uses the means of rain and dew. He wants to um, change the seasons. He uses the means of all the stuff with the systems and pressure and all the science that I can't explain and some of you could do better than me. When it comes to often things in his will, one of the means God uses is prayer. Prayer is a means. It's a means of grace. It's also a means... Of the the effectual uh, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, accomplishes much. It's a means that God uses. But when we think of prayer being a means that God uses, we often think of it as a tool that we use to help other people. So-and-so's in the hospital. Let's pray that God heals them. So-and-so needs uh, you know, help financially. Let's pray that God meets that need. So-and-so's trying to find a house. Let's pray that God supplies that for him. So let's, and we think of prayer as a way we help, and it is that the way we can pray and intercede for one another. But we also need to remember that one of the means that means a prayer, that God mainly uses prayer to change us. So in order to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In order to pray that, we have to have had a heart that's willing to submit to God's will to pray that. It's hard to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, When my heart doesn't want to submit to God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Millard Erickson said this way He said, Prayer is not so much letting God, getting God to do our will, as it is demonstrating that we are as concerned as is God that His will be done. So it's not just about getting God to do our will, but showing and coming to the point that we are willing for God's will to be done. So to pray, Your will be done. Can kind of be, this is our first point here, a dangerous prayer in the blanks. Because submitting to a sovereign is kind of a scary thing that we need to submit to God's sovereign will. And 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 with the scripture reading that we had earlier today and that Reese read for us in Matthew 26, is that Jesus doesn't just say, Hey, pray like this you know, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth is in heaven. He actually did this, so we follow the example of Jesus, so in the garden, he prays, and he mentions twice, nevertheless, you know if it be possible, Lord, take this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done that and when Jesus was praying that, he knew there was danger coming. It is a dangerous prayer for us to think sometimes that god's will be done. whoa, what if it's his will you know, That can be a scary thing. Jesus knew the danger when he prayed this. He desired, um, his desire, his heart was to always glorify the Father, and so he prayed this way. And so for us to pray, your will be done, is for us to forfeit lordship in our lives. I mean, we're praying that history would come to its true end that we're trying, praying that among other things that that you know that, that marriages would be the way God wants them to be and government would, and, and and society would be the way God would want it to be and my life would be ordered by the sovereign one that I am submitting my lordship to him your will be done praying this way reorients the way we think so that we're not thinking about personal autonomy we're not thinking about our control over our own lives or our own circumstances. We're thinking about his. Remember, we even started off the prayer. We have this, this such a strong individualism, this misperception about the will of God. It's Me find God's will for me. And the Lord's prayer from the beginning to here, our father. It's not just about you. It's about our father. God's will be done. And we can be so over-individualized in this that we are not realizing that in order to pray this way, we need to forfeit lordship, that we give up all personal claims of sovereignty over our lives. Your will be done, not mine. J.I. Packer said it very well. He said, here more clearly than anywhere, the purpose of prayer becomes plain, not to make God do my will, which is practicing magic, but to bring my will into line with his, which is what it means to practice true religion. So Packer says, in other words, when we pray, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. This shows us the true purpose of prayer. Not to get God to do what we want, because that's magic. But for us to do what God would want and have a heart that would be what God would want, which is practicing what it means to follow God. Christ so this is really a discipleship call praying this way is a call to Christian discipleship so when it would it for you think about your life and the circumstances when would it be hardest for you to pray this way when would it be hardest for you to do God's will on earth as in heaven Jesus is further explaining when he says on earth is in heaven that what it looks like for God's kingdom where it is perfect and everything obeys him is in heaven and he's praying that that would come from heaven to earth so he desires that and that's really kind of hearkening back to that imagery that we used a couple weeks ago of the two cities the city of God the city of man that there's a kingdom come but I want to submit to God's will and I know that the place right now that that is fully God's will being done is in heaven so I say on earth as it is in heaven. Things in heaven are exactly as God wants them to be. And we want to pray that that would come to earth. Now, there are some implications of praying that. Uh, one is that um, this is a statement for Christians to follow the Lord. And and that the place, that the, play, the embassy of the kingdom on this earth is there's really two institutions. And one is... The church, and the other is the Christian home. And and by that, I mean that in the church and in our homes should really be the place that there's a little bit of heaven on earth, that God's will is done, that people are loving each other, people are submitting to Jesus' rule, that we're Jesus is king. And, and, and that when you come together, if you're in a foreign country and you go to the U.S. embassy, you're like, these are my people. That when you come together as the church, it's like, we are here, he is king, we're submitting to him. And the same way in our homes, there should be that the way we relate to one another and things like that, that there's that haven, there's that heaven on earth. But to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth is in heaven is also praying that we desire this for all people, not just those that name the name of Christ. And, and so there's some implications about this. There's some implications of the way we relate to society that God's will, he already told us, is that we would care for the poor, that we would take care of those, that we'd do good to those, um, and that we would seek the good of our town and that we'd want to see it bettered, and so that we would do that. We, that we even, when we vote, we would vote for things that would be in accordance with God's design. Now, we also got to keep in mind, as, as good as good Baptists, is that that the kingdom does not advance through force or legislation. It comes through evangelism and conversion. So you don't force anyone, so we're not gonna vote to bring in a little theocracy here in Clarksburg or, you know, make sure we you know make sure everybody has to go to Sunday school in order to vote and be part of city council. No, no, no. We know that that has to advance from the will of those people genuinely be converted. But for things like protecting the unborn and giving, um, making sure people have the right things and that, that wrong is corrected and right is rewarded and things like this, that we're going to vote and persuade in accordance with that way. So, so, so this can kind of be like a dangerous prayer because it's subversive in some ways because we really want a totalitarian of God to be supreme. And so the will of God, one of the main means of grace that he exercises the means of the, the the will of God on this in this age is through the preaching and the evangelism of the church to the world. And so that is one way that we would see God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But but to pray that way, just like Jesus prayed, nevertheless not my will but thine be done, knowing the danger is thing is ahead. To pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is also a very safe and secure prayer to pray. And that's the final blank there on the screen. That the trust that we would have arising from the character of God and his fatherly affection for us would make it very comforting for us to pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's a classic text about the will of God for us, and that's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and some of you probably have it memorized, uh, maybe from a Juana or school or VBS or something, and it says that we should, um, and I have it memorized, I know i memorized it, I, my brain just went blank, let me turn over there. Um, ah, Um, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or suitable worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So he says three things about the will of God. The will of God is good acceptable and perfect. So, God's will, so this is what we say it is safe, it is comforting to pray God's will, God's will be done on earth as in heaven, because it is a good because his fatherly affection, he is always good. He is only good. He is a good God. So for we pray for his will to be done, we're praying for good things. Now he gets to define what good is. But but we are praying for that. And as someone said, it is worthy of acceptation. This is good and acceptable. I mean, acceptable means it's able to be received. It's something that we want to grasp it. We want to seize it. It's acceptable. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want it. So you know when we said how sometimes we have this misplaced view of the will of God that it's kind of like a, the, he's holding us at gunpoint. Surrender to my will. You're going to go be a missionary in a grass hut and you're going to be miserable but you're going to Act like you're glad you did it, you know. You know you're, you're, surrender to preach, you know, or whatever that is. No, no, no. It's acceptable. And that's how we, how do you know someone's called to preach? How do they have a calling? Well, Paul told us, remember? Most of God's will, you already know. If any man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. Well, if you have no desire for it, you're probably not called to it, right? So, so God's going to put, as you submit to God's will, he's going to put the desires, it's acceptable. You're going to want it. And you know what? If it's God's will for you to be in that grass hut in Africa, you know, where your kid's playing with cobras and stuff like that, you're going to love it. And it's going to be the best acceptable, grasp-at-it place that, you, that you'd rather be there than anywhere else. I've heard of missionaries when they come back and they're like, we just go back and you know, we kind of liked it there. We kind of liked wherever they were or the, the pace of life or they grew to love that and that becomes them because God's will is good and acceptable and the third part, it is perfect. God is a perfect God who has a perfect will and so pr- to pray, your will be done on earth is in heaven is safe and comforting and it is secure and because it is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God and so I hope that you will be able to pray this week. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. May your will be done. And that the thought of God, what God's will is, that, you know, a lot of God's will, he doesn't tell me, but a lot of it he already has told, and that he decrees it, it's sovereign, and I just need to submit to it. A lot of it he's already told me, and I need to recognize that and obey it. And that I can safely, dangerously pray, and safely pray your will be done. And so submit to God's sovereign will and obey God's revealed will for you. Trust his perfect good and acceptable will. I mean, there is no better place to be than in the center of God's will for your life. And that's how you do it. You submit to his sovereign will, obey his revealed will, and make decisions according to those things, those principles that he's given. Pray that nothing in your life would prevent us from doing God's will. Surrender your will to God's will. And remember, remember, We often think that prayer is this tool that we use to help others, but we need to remember that God mainly uses it to change us. And so in order to pray, your will be done, we need to submit to his will first. And so is that you? And I can say on the authority of his disposition will that his will for you is to be saved if you're not. And that's the first step to being in God's will is to be saved. The next step would be to be surrendered to whatever he'd have for your life and to pray for that and to seek that. And so I hope that's you and I hope we can all learn from this to be able to pray, I will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's bow our heads.